0: What is the purpose for your life? Do you know? Do you even care? This last question, do you even care, should shock our senses. Why would anyone not want to know the purpose for his existence? We come into this life knowing nothing. We involuntarily arrived one day, and today we find ourselves somewhere, at some age and stage of life, and being who we are. What an enigma! But at some point, often in our teenage years, or as we near the end of life, we wonder, what's it all about? Do you, dear friend, ever ask yourself this question? And if not, why? Sadly, too many don't seem to be very concerned, but we here at Tomorrow's World keep trying to give you the answer to this question, and while thousands do order our resource that explains it, many thousands do not. Apparently there are more people interested in the future of the world than their personal eternal future. On today's Tomorrow's World program, we're going to consider the most important questions of all for each one of us. Who am I? Why was I born? What is the purpose of life? What is God's plan for me? I'll answer these questions on today's program, and I'll also tell you about our resource that gives a fuller explanation from the pages of the Bible. So be sure to have writing material available to take down our contact information to receive your free copy of What is the Meaning of Life? Now Stay with me as I'll be right back in five seconds to answer this most important of all questions. A warm welcome to all of you from those of us here at Tomorrow's World. On today's program, I'll be answering the most important of all questions, what is the purpose of life? The answer is found in the pages of the Bible, and it's not what most people think. It's not to float around for eternal retirement in heaven. No, dear friends, it's infinitely greater than that. The meaning-of-life question has been mulled over and debated among philosophers and theologians for millennia. Yet the answer has been with us from the beginning. No, we are not left to our puny minds to discover some novel idea that suits our fancy. There is a far greater purpose than most imagine. Those who subscribe to an evolutionary origin to life, thus in their own minds doing away with the need for God, have no real answer. What grand purpose can there be for a life confined to the here and now? Even if you live a thousand years and come up with a cure for cancer, what good will that do you in the end? When you die, all hopes, dreams, and temporal rewards will end in the blackness of darkness forever if there is no God. Philosophy professor Thaddeus Metz summarizes a multitude of theories on life's purpose from theologians and philosophers, and he mentions that, Lately, however, an extreme form of naturalism has arisen, according to which our lives would probably, if not unavoidably, have less meaning in a world with God. In other words, to them, God's existence would take away from a meaningful existence. Professor Metz then explains several theories put forward to come to this absurd conclusion. The first theory postulates that God's existence places us in a master-servant or parent-child relationship. Thus, our independence or dignity as adult persons would be violated. Put another way, we could no longer be our own boss. We would have to answer to a higher power and atheists and agnostics chafe at such an idea. Professor Metz points to an additional God-don't-tell-me-what-to-do line of reasoning. Another salient argument for thinking that God would detract from meaning in life appeals to the value of privacy. God's omniscience, all-knowing, would unavoidably make it impossible for us to control the most intimate details about ourselves which for some amounts to a less meaningful life than one with such control. Apart from revelation from God, the subject is broad, technical at times, and, well, meaningless. Leave God out and there can be no purpose beyond our far too short temporary existence. But not surprisingly, there are those who argue against eternal life itself. As the professor explains, First and foremost, there has been the argument that an immortal life could not avoid becoming boring, rendering life pointless according to many subjective and objective theories. One of the major Jewish sects during Jesus' day also believed that there was no future beyond the grave. Note this encounter between the Sadducees and Jesus when they challenged Him about the resurrection, Matthew 22 and verse 23. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. And when brought before the council, the apostle Paul created a near riot between the Pharisees and Sadducees over this subject. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Some among the Christians at Corinth were influenced by this erroneous idea. Paul's first letter to that church addresses the subject of the resurrection from the dead in chapter 15, and he reasons with perfect logic the futility of life if it is only for the here and the now. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul later explains the senselessness of self-sacrifice if all that we have is the here and now. Taking it to its natural conclusion. Verse 32 If, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But before we set off to eat, drink, and die forever, let's ask ourselves a central question Paul addresses in this chapter Is there a resurrection from the dead? Either there is or there isn't. If there is no life after death, we are left without a lasting hope, as we will see in the next segment of this program. But first I want to tell you about today's free offer, What Is the Meaning of Life? In this resource, the late Dr. Roderick C. Meredith asks, Is there any transcendent reason for you to be alive? Can you have a remarkably interesting and fulfilling destiny ahead of you, regardless of your present situation? Can you be 100% sure of a future rendezvous with happiness, joy, and peace? Or are you living a fleeting, disappointing existence on planet Earth with no more purpose for your life than the birds, the bees, or for that matter, the worms that crawl in the dirt? These are serious questions for serious-minded people. Wouldn't you like to know the purpose of your existence you can know, and it's clearly revealed in the pages of your Bible. And what the Bible actually says about the purpose of life, as opposed to what people think it says, is both shocking and exciting. What is the Meaning of Life will guide you to those passages that make life's purpose so clear that even a child can understand. So order your free copy of What is the Meaning of Life and do it today! And when I come back, we'll explore further why there can be no lasting happiness in a life void of God and eternal life.
1: For today's free offer, call 1-800-236-0531 or go to twtv.org life. Call today and join millions around the world who are turning to Tomorrow's World for truth, prophecy, and hope in these confusing times. Call now or go to twtv.org life.
0: On today's Tomorrow's World program, I'm discussing the purpose of life, And if there is no God, there can be no life after death, no memory, no thoughts, no joy, no happiness, only the blackness of darkness forever. As Paul convincingly wrote, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die." Ancient King Solomon sought the purpose of life through wine, women, and song, and he discovered that none of these brought lasting happiness. What was the purpose of it all? He concluded in the end that all was vanity and grasping for the wind. As it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity or worthlessness. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does the wise man die? As the fool. Therefore I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. That's from Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, beginning in verse 15. You can never match Solomon when it comes to wine, women, and song, neither with fame nor fortune. Most who try find that what they thought would make them happy does not. Consider the lives of so many celebrities who outwardly have it all. Some get strung out on drugs. Others have one failed marriage after another. Ponder the recent tragic case of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Both had good looks, fame, and fortune, but it's evident that none of this provided the happiness that both sought. This is not to say that every rich person has a failed marriage, or that all celebrities are unhappy, only that lasting happiness does not come from temporary pleasures. and Unless there is a God who can resurrect you from the grave, anything you do in this life is temporary. How can we be certain that we can live again? While well, there are those who claim a near-death experience, only one was resurrected after three days and three nights in the grave, and that was nearly 2,000 years ago. But Paul answers that question in this same resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, listing by name individuals who saw Jesus after His crucifixion. And then he asserts, after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. This was written less than 25 years after the crucifixion, and most of those 500 were still alive. What credibility would Paul or his letter have if this were not true? And scholars recognize further evidence. According to John 7 and verse 5, Jesus' own half-brothers did not believe in him prior to the crucifixion but afterward they became disciples. James went on to be the leader of the Jerusalem congregation and he wrote the epistle of James. His half-brother Jude also became a believer and wrote the letter bearing his name. Furthermore, history records that of the twelve apostles, remember that Matthias replaced Judas, only John did not die a martyr's death. Now many have died as martyrs for a cause they believed in, but how many would die for a cause they knew to be a lie? Jesus' 12 apostles knew the resurrection was true. The question remains, if God exists and there is life after death, what does that mean? What is God's purpose for you and me? I'll answer that question after a short 15-second break, but I want to remind you of today's offer, What is the Meaning of Life? This resource can be yours absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is let us know that you want it. You will not receive harassing letters or phone calls asking for donations or to buy something. Everything we have here at Tomorrow's World is given away free of cost to you. Members of Living Church of God and our co-workers have already paid for it. But are you content with coming up to the last days of your life and not knowing why you lived? What is the Meaning of Life points you to scriptural passages that explain God has a purpose for you. So order your free copy today, and when I return in 15 seconds, I'll show you what the Bible says about the meaning for your life.
1: This clear and straightforward resource will help you understand this vital truth straight from the pages of the Bible. Call now! or go to TWTV.org slash life.
0: On today's Tomorrow's World Program, I'm explaining that there is a purpose for your life. And before the short break, I said I would show you what the Bible says about that purpose. Do you know why man has so much greater mental capacity than animals? Several animals have larger brains, but none come close to man's capacity to reason, to think, to innovate. None can devise a plan to go to the moon and return. None can build a telescope, a television, or a computer. Yes, I know your dog is pretty amazing, but there's something fundamentally different between the two of you. What makes the difference? How is it that man can build machines to go higher, faster, and further than any animal? And why is it that with all our intelligence, we cannot get along with our fellow man. Why divorce? Why wars between nations? Why people scamming, stealing, and bludgeoning one another? We begin our search for the answer in the first chapter in the Bible. Here we find God's purpose for mankind. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. How many read over this passage without considering what it means? In plain language, God did not make man after any animal kind, but His, that is, God's kind. We're different because we were created in God's image and likeness. Write down Genesis 1 and verses 26 and 27 and read it for yourself and consider what it means, or simply order our free booklet, What is the Meaning of Life?, as this is explained there. God created us after His own kind with amazing ability to think, to reason, and to do marvelous things. But why don't we conduct ourselves in a godly manner? The missing element is explained in the second chapter of Genesis. There we find that man is made a free moral agent with the ability to make choices. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He was given the ability to choose between right and wrong, between good and evil. Notice how this is spelled out at a later time for the nation of Israel Deuteronomy the 30th chapter and verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. While we sent men to the moon and brought them back safely, to this day we cannot get along with one another. There are too many failed marriages, too many murders, rapes, and assaults, too many wars cutting short the hopes and dreams of millions. Sometimes people ask why God, with all of His power, does not stop the atrocities that occur here below. But which of these same people are willing to submit to God's will and everything? God made us as free moral agents for a reason, and we'll explore that reason in the last portion of today's program. But first, I want to give you one more chance to take down our contact information to receive your free copy of, What Is the Meaning of Life? This vital resource goes into detail straight from the pages of the Bible. As we say so often here at Tomorrow's World, don't believe us just because we say it, Believe it because you find it in your own Bible. What is the Meaning of Life goes straight to the scriptures and reveals what they say about the purpose of life. So call the toll-free number or go to our website to order your free copy of What is the Meaning of Life? And after this short break, I'll show you why God made us free moral agents. For today's free offer, call
1: one 800 236 or go to twtv.org/life This clear and straightforward resource will help you understand this vital truth straight from the pages of the Bible If you're calling for the first time you will also receive a free annual subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine
0: The idea that God is creating man in his own image is truly profound, and this theme is found throughout the Scriptures. David looked up at the night sky and wondered why God would even be interested in puny little man, asking, "What is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of Man that you visit him? That's from Psalm the eighth chapter and verse four. The book of Hebrews picks up on this question and explains, You, that is, God, have put all things in subjection under His—that's man's—feet. For in that He put all in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we do not yet see all things put under Him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's from Hebrews, the second chapter, verses eight and 10. The Bible reveals a plan and purpose being worked out that is far greater than going off to heaven for retirement to stare into the face of God for eternity. Why is it, dear friends, that people do not accept what the Bible plainly says? The apostle Paul is not vague about our future. He explains in Romans the eighth chapter, verses 14 and 15, that we will be sons of God and joint heirs with Christ. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, meaning daddy and father. Now, notice what he says next. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Did you catch that? We are to become children of God. Humankind, as brought out in Genesis 1, was made in the image and the likeness of God, not of any animal kind. But of God Himself. Can you believe what the Bible clearly says? Notice further And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. In previous generations, we understood that the masculine man or mankind represented both men and women in this context. But if anyone is offended by that micro mini aggression note that women are not left out. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. That's from 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. But how can this be? Notice again from Romans the 8th chapter and verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here we find two Spirits, God's Spirit and our Spirit. In this we find the difference between God's thinking and man's thinking. Humanly speaking, we do not think as God thinks, and without His indwelling Spirit, though intelligent in material matters, we lack true love and self-control. That's why we naturally exhibit what we call human nature. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's found in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 19 to 21. But does that mean we can never think as he thinks? Let Paul give us the answer. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Paul next explained why there is a difference between the animal brain and the mind of man. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Similarly, this explains the difference between the mind of man and the mind of God. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Here we find two Spirits. The Spirit of man empowers the human brain far above that of the animals. But without the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we can no more understand the things of God than my dog Marcus could understand calculus. To be fully made in the image and likeness of God, to think as God thinks, these two Spirits must unite. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together." Wow! Children of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ! Now, sadly, I see that I've run out of time and there is so much more that I have not covered. But for a complete explanation, order our free booklet, What Is the Meaning of Life? It reveals the very purpose for your existence. And be sure to come back again next time when evangelists Richard Ames, Wallace Smith, Rod McNair, and I bring you more good news from the pages of the Bible. See you next time!
1: For today's free offer, call 1-800-236-0531 or go to twtv.org/life call today and join millions around the world who are turning to tomorrow's world for truth, prophecy, and hope in these confusing times the preceding program is produced by the living church of god